Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. So glad to have you return. We're finally recovering from last week's crazy flooding in California. I wasn't even sure we would get to have a show. So today, for the first time, we are live. If you'd like to call in with a question or comment, you can call 866-472-5792. I'd love to talk to you. And we can take a a few callers if you have anything to talk about from last week's show on being human or on the topics we're discussing today. So today we're going to do some myth busting on what we think about the most basic elements of nutrition, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And there's a lot of misinformation out there and a a lot of reason for that. And again, that reason is money. The conversation is often driven by lobbyists for the food industry. For example, there's been a big push for decades now that tells us that fats are bad for us and that and that came directly from the sugar industry. But fats are absolutely essential for life, and there are big impacts on our health if our diets are too low in fats. But they just wanted to divert attention from how bad sugar is for us. In fact, if you look at foods that are marked low fat, they usually have a lot more sugar in them than their supposedly less healthy counterparts. And as bad as we know excess sugar is, we can't seem to get away from that myth about fat. So let's go after some of these myths and look at the science. So first of all, let's look at protein. We know sugar is bad. We've been trained to think fats are bad, but it's a free for all when it comes to protein. The more, the better. We even synthesize it into protein powders and protein powders so that we can get more, more, more. But protein isn't free, and the amount we have, and most especially the concentration of the protein at any one time, matters. Proteins are the precursors to the electricity that goes through our brains and nervous systems. And just like our electronic devices, we want the right amount of protein to be going through the system. We can't survive if we have too little. We don't want to be out of battery, um, but we also don't want too much. If there's too much electricity going through our brain, we can fry the nerves, so to speak. So just as it would short circuit our electronics, we can have sort of a short circuiting effect on our brain. Now, the electronics have a shutoff mechanism if the situation gets serious to keep it from destroying the device. But to reach that same level with our brains would be absolutely catastrophic. We want to avoid that at all costs. Um, Now, we might not just look at this extreme situation, but a lot of times people have chronic levels where too much electricity is going through the system. And that can look like pain or spasms, tremors, agitation, excitation, hyperactivity, even sensory stimuli where, for example, you just can't stand being around crowds or a lot of people. Um, We might feel um, panic and anxiety. Um, But most of all, in the long term, it can lead to neurodegeneration and um, even memory loss and dementias. So we might like having extra protein as part of a workout program. Um, And this is fine up to a point, but if you're seeing some of these symptoms, be careful. You might end up with the most shredded abs in the dementia ward. And believe me, that's a truly awful illness. It's heartbreaking for entire families. So that must be avoided at all costs. Concentrated uh, proteins um, could come in the form of protein powders, protein bars, and we even see it in a lot of vegetarian foods. Like we make these artificial imitation soy-based products like fake and bacon and tofurkey. Um, we can also get it just by simply eating too much protein at one sitting. Now, this is imp- especially important for uh, children 
because a lot of the way our bodies and our brains react to things is dependent on our weight. So if you think of a small child that's 30 pounds and they're eating a protein bar that's meant for an adult, um, they might have five or six times uh, the reaction that an adult would. And that's pretty important. If you start to notice that your kids are hyperactive, particularly after eating a protein bar, maybe that it's too much for their brains to handle. Maybe they just need half and they certainly don't need a second serving. Um, now, what can people do if they're more sensi sensitive and they have a greater tendency to neurologic ex excitation? Um, because this is very much based in genetics and people react differently. We see that all the time. Some people are just a lot more sensitive than others. So one thing we can do is to regulate the amount. Um, um, the amount that affects one person might have no effect on another person. So there's a certain amount of just paying attention and gauging for yourself how much is okay for you. You might be able to be just fine with half a protein bar or an occasional one, but maybe not every day. Um, the second thing that is really important is to have an adequate supply of the nutrients that close the gates and regulate the electrical charge. Um, we have two types of nerves. One is sodium channels and the other are calcium channels. Now, sodium channels are activated with sodium salt and they're deactivated with potassium. Now, when people think of potassium, they usually think of bananas, but there's nothing magical about bananas. I, I just think that in the 1950s, when they were developing nutritional guidelines, that was about the only fruit or vegetable that they thought Americans would eat. So there was a, a big push for bananas, but really potassium is found in all plants, all fruits, all vegetables, um, and all legumes, as in beans. Um, so, um, in order to close down the sodium channels and keep that electrical charge from going through, you want to have an adequate supply of potassium. And a lot of people just don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. Um, now, we also have the calcium channels. They're activated with calcium and deactivated with magnesium. Now, calcium is fairly easy to get. It's in dairy, soy, dark green leafy vegetables and real mineral water, not just like the carbonated tap water that you can sometimes buy, but the real stuff that comes out of the ground like Pellegrino or Perrier or Gerolsteiner. Those actually, believe it or not, have a fair amount of calcium and magnesium. So magnesium will close the gates to regulate the electrical charge, um, but magnesium is a harder nutrient to get in quantity, um, especially if we're using up a lot of it by eating a lot of protein and sending a lot of electrical charge through the system. It's found in seeds and nuts, spinach and oats, but not nearly in the amount we need. So oftentimes, if you have a neurological symptom, one strategy is to gently increase your magnesium. Now, remember, calcium opens the gates, so if you're taking a combination calcium-magnesium supplement, it's kind of missing the point. What you really want to do is change the ratio. You, you're opening the gates with the calcium and you have to have at least enough magnesium to close them. So the one that I use is a really low dose and you want to just increase your magnesium ratio just a little bit at a time until you find the amount that's right for you. And here's the reason for that. It's really important. The first job of magnesium is to shut these gates of the calcium channels, and the body will make that the priority and use whatever it needs for that. Now, sometimes the dose can be a bit higher than the RDA. In fact, sometimes when people have a lot of neurological issues, if they have a lot of nerve pain, for example, the, the dose might be a lot higher than the, the RDA. But we need to be really careful about it because the second job of magnesium is to take the water you drink and moisten the bowel. And you definitely want, don't want to overdo that and cause problems there. 
I heard that in the book that Prince Harry came out with last week, he talked about doing that the night before a wedding. And well, that was just maybe too much information for a lot of people. But um, for me, as a healthcare practitioner, I knew exactly what was going on. That was just way too much magnesium. And that was an embarrassing thing. So don't do that, please. Just be gradual and titrate up until you get the results you want um, with your symptoms or until your body says it's enough. Now, if it doesn't take your symptoms away completely, um, then maybe there are other factors besides the magnesium. It may mean the magnesium worked a little, but just, just pay attention and don't overdo. Now, another issue with too much protein is the possibility of gout. The joints become red, they become swollen, and they become horribly painful. One patient of mine described it as the feeling as the feeling that someone had parked a car on his foot and left it there. And while gout most commonly affects the feet, it can affect any joint. It comes as a result of eating foods with too much purine. And these are usually found in protein foods, especially organ meats. So gout is a condition that's completely avoidable. Another reason that we don't want to eat too much protein is that it's very hard on our kidneys. It causes poor blood flow through the kidneys, and this is important because it's the job of the kidneys to filter blood. 25% of the blood pumped out of the heart goes through the kidneys, and the blood circulates through the kidneys 60 times a day, so this is a crucial function. Excessive protein can also cause um, localized issues in the, in the kidneys if the blood is flowing through too forcefully. It can damage the kidney cells, leading to chronic kidney disease, even to the point of needing dialysis. And ultimately, it can become fatal. Another area of our bodies that are impacted by too much protein are our cell walls. And cell walls are made of protein and fats. The ratio of protein and fats in the typical modern diet is always trying to do the best that it can but if that ratio is skewed on an ongoing basis, then it doesn't have the resources it needs to build the walls properly. And that sets the stage for poor cell wall integrity. It can even be a cofactor in the onset of cancer cells taking hold. Now, that's only a small piece when it comes to cancer, but we want to eliminate any driving factors we possibly can, and this is an easy one. So how much protein is the right amount? Well, for an adult who's about 150 pounds or 68 kilos, the need is about 50 or 60 grams a day. We can think of that as 10 to 12 units of five grams each. So that would be about an ounce of uh, animal protein or one egg or a third of cooked beans. You can search on any food and then add grams of protein and it'll tell you what you want. I'll post some conversions to the to my blog as well. Now, for my listeners who use metric, remember that the weight of the food is not the same as the grams of protein that your body uses. Foods have water and fiber and other nutrients besides protein that affect the weight. So 28 grams of meat or fish would yield about a five gram unit. 50 grams of cooked beans would meet the five gram mark. And well, an egg is still an egg even in metric. So as you can imagine, I really caution people about the keto diet. A full meat-based keto is problematic. A plant-based keto on a short-term basis can be okay, but you can probably want to keep it short-term. If you want to drop a few pounds for your wedding, fine, but ketosis is not a good long-term strategy, strategy for all the reasons we just discussed. So I see we have a couple of callers, so let's see what they have to say. Hello, uh, Eric? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Eric. Thanks oh. for calling in. You're my very first caller. Hi, Camille. Um, I have a uh, quick question for you. It ties in with last week's um, episode, which is how much water uh, do you recommend we drink? Oh, that's super. Uh, thanks, Eric. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So the guideline I use is to take your body weight measured in pounds and divide that number by two. So that would be the number of ounces that you need in a day as a baseline. But keep in mind, if you live in a dry climate, if it's summer, if you exercise or sweat a lot, you'll need more. And if you've been chronically dehydrated or are intending to detox, you'll need a lot more than that. 
Thank you, Dr. Camille. I appreciate it. And thank you so much show. for calling. I think we have another caller, Renee. Oh, hi, Dr. Camille. Um, I had a question about last week when you talked about listening to the messages the body is trying to give us. Um, so if I'm in pain, how do I understand what it's trying to say? Oh, wow. That's a great question and a really big one, Renee. Thanks so much. Um, okay, so there's a lot there. So first and foremost, you want to look, is it an acute injury? Okay, most people would know that's pretty obvious. You want to get that checked out. You want to know what you're dealing with. And if it's a chest pain, then by all means, you know, take immediate action. Everybody should be familiar with the signs of a heart attack, um, just in case it happens to you or someone you love. But I assume you're talking more about chronic pain. So what you want to look at first is you want to look at where is the pain? Is there a history of any issues in that area? Was there an injury that's maybe hasn't been fully resolved? You might need to look at practitioners who can help you with that specific problem. Next, you might want to look at what, um, what makes the pain worse or better. For example, if pain is better with heat, it's probably a circulation issue. If it's better with cold, then it's um, probably something that's due to inflammation. Now, then we want to look at whether it's better with activity or rest. If it's activity, then probably it's more of an issue of stiffness. You need to stretch and exercise more, and maybe massage will help. If rest helps, then it could be overuse. Maybe you need a break from your usual exercise and maybe switching up to an exercise that uses different muscles. Next, you want to look at the quality of the pain. If it's sharp or stabbing, it could be nerve pain, maybe a pinched nerve or, or inflammation. You want to look at biomechanics to see if that will fix it. If it's throbbing, it might be something with blood circulation or a blood vessel. Spasms, you want to pay attention to your nutrition because usually that's a muscle that's not nourished. Um, if it's burning, that can be serious. You want to look at inflammation or autoimmune disease. If it's aching, it's just overuse. Maybe you're doing too much of something, including maybe too much sitting. Then you want to look at if it's a specific spot or if it's all over. If it's one place, it's probably biomechanics, and you might want to look to someone um, who specializes in resolving that. There are so many great approaches to biomechanics. So if you don't get results right away, try a different style or treatment. Different problems respond better to different methods. If it's all over, then it could be systemic. It could be inflammation. So look, do you, do you feel swelling or heat? Um, you might need to consult a physician and have labs run. You'll want to look at that more closely and see what makes it work worse or better. Um, is it something you ate? Is it something you were exposed to that triggered your immune system? There are all kinds of possibilities. Um, the main thing is that it is, as you said, your body's way of telling you something. Um, and you just have to figure out what the issue is. Does that, does that answer it, Renee? Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Camille. Thanks so much for calling. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. So this is Healthy Wealthy You. We're going to take a break right now, and I'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Camille. We're back with Healthy Wealthy You, and this is Dr. Camille. And today we're looking at some of the myths about our diet, things that we all know but really aren't true. Um, Let's look at carbohydrates next, and there are a lot of misconceptions here. Carbs are just energy. They're the fuel in our tank. We don't want to run out of gasoline, but we also don't want to start a gas fire. Having more fuel than we can use creates a lot of inflammation. So it's doing a lot more than just making us fat. Diabetes is the seventh highest cause of mortality in the world with about 6.7 million deaths per year. One in 10 people in the world have it. And the World Health Organization estimates that another 45% of people with diabetes may be undiagnosed, bringing that number um, to, to nearly one in five globally. It causes serious illnesses, vision issues, nerve damage, and necrosis. It's, it's highly, highly increases the risk of pancreatic cancer. And at least for type 2 diabetes, it's highly related to our habits. Now, carbs are fuel, and our brains need fuel. That's undeniable. Our brains are about 2% of our body weight, but use about 20% of our glucose. That increases to about 25% of our glucose use when we're sleeping. So even if we're sitting at work, if we want concentration and mental focus, we need fuel. The timing of carbs is all important. We need them to fuel both our physical and our mental activity. Carbs are important before sports. Athletes know to have carbs before the workout, they need it for fuel, and then they need protein afterward to rebuild muscle. In fact, the best time to have protein, as an aside, is um, within two hours after your workout. That's when you're, that's your optimum window for building muscle. So, um, so we, we do need a carbohydrate reserve for our brains when we sleep. That's about 75 calories per hour to keep our bodily functions going. Now, one cause of waking up in the middle night could be low blood sugar. So if you're not eating enough, that can be an issue. It can also be a reason for sleeping lightly. The brain stays on alert to some extent, not wanting the reserves to get too low. But at night, we really want slow carbs, what we call low glycemic index carbs. The body uses them more slowly so that they can last through the night. These are carbs with a lot of fiber, and that helps them digest more slowly. These are whole grains and root vegetables in particular. Um, What you want to avoid late at night are the really high glycemic index foods, Um, desserts, sugar, juices, um, things that don't have a lot of fiber, Um, and that are just going to shoot through your system really quickly because that's not going to last you through the night. In fact, it's going to boomerang back on you because your body's going to shoot out a lot of insulin, and then you have an even greater chance of your blood sugar getting low during the night. So it's a balance. You don't want too much fuel at night when your activity is low, but you don't want too little either. So play with that balance for yourself and see what works for you. I've always been someone who naturally didn't like dinner, and I guess I've always done a kind of intermittent fasting even before it was a thing. 
I love a solid breakfast. My breakfast is often what other people eat for dinner. Then I eat another meal around three or four o'clock, and I rarely eat after that. Just some tea, maybe a few nuts. I personally sleep better if I have some fats at night. Um, if I do eat dinner, which I occasionally do just to be social, I just know I don't sleep as well. So if you're doing intermittent fasting, be very careful about um, not eating in the morning and saving your meal for late in the day. You might not be getting the fuel you need when you need it. For exercise at work or school um, um, or just any kind of activity, and then you might be storing up those calories for when you need it least during sleep. Carbohydrates trigger the, the pancreas to produce insulin. Um, and when we eat too much, the pancreas goes into overdrive. Sometimes it can produce too much insulin and then we absorb too much of the blood sugar and we swing from too high to too low. Now, when we have, um, when our blood sugar is too low, that's called hypoglycemia. And we can have irritability, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, confusion, dizziness, rapid heartbeat, sweating, even trembling. And over time, what happens is we wear out our pancreatic function, and that sets the stage for diabetes. Now, in addition to diabetes, excessive carb consumption can lead to fatty liver, which is a really unhealthy condition. Um, it really um, interferes with conversion of hormones and conversion of neurotransmitters, of detoxification. So it's really important to avoid it. Now, it's really interesting. Some researchers at UC Berkeley have pegged this um, effect of carbs creating fatty liver to a specific gene that's called BAF60C. And they found that mice with high levels of this created more fat-producing cells. And when the, that gene was turned off, it disrupted the production of fatty acids, even when there was a carb-heavy diet. So they're actually working on a drug to turn off this gene. And it may sound really great, um, but we have to be really careful because we can't entirely live without fats. Um, so we'll talk about that more near the end about fats, but it's an interesting it's an interesting balance. Maybe not too much, not too little. We don't want to shut them off completely, but it is interesting research. Excessive carb consumption can also carry over from meal to meal. Researchers at the University of Verona in Italy looked at what they called the second meal effect. They compared people who ate a meal of refined sugar to a second group that ate a meal of low glycemic index carbs, the slow burning carbs. Then a few hours later, they fed both groups another meal um, and this meal was identical for both groups. They found that the group that ate the sugary meal at first had a much stronger insulin response and more gas and bloating with the second meal than the group who ate good meals both times. Um, very important for people to be aware of if you're eating desserts daily. Now, this gas and bloating is actually significant because excess carbs taken when they can't be used or taken in too large a quantity can lead to fermentation. This can be especially true if you have dysbiosis, the wrong kind of bacteria in your gut, or even if you have yeast issues. And the gas and bloating is a sign of this fermentation. And fermentation creates alcohol, and alcohol is a big issue. Whether alcohol comes from fermentation or whether you're drinking it as an alcoholic beverage, your body prioritizes breaking down alcohol over every other function. From a biology standpoint, that's incredible. It says that the body considers alcohol to be so toxic that it will prioritize getting rid of it over everything else, including taking in nutrition. I have to say over the years, the people in my practice who are most likely to get cancer or have autoimmune diseases that never got resolved 
or had the most chronic disease of any kind were people who drank alcohol regularly, especially if they drank it daily. Um, now, first of all, the problem is that they, they might not be taking in proper nutrition. If the body is having that much alcohol and it's blocking out the digestion of other or the assimilation of other nutrients, then maybe it doesn't get enough opportunity to take nutrition in. The body will even starve itself in the process of getting rid of alcohol. It'll delay taking in carbohydrates, even putting itself in a severe hypoglycemic state if, if there is alcohol that needs to be broken down. And I mentioned some of the symptoms of hypoglycemia earlier, irritability, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, confusion, dizziness, rapid heartbeat, sweating, trembling. So some of what we experience from alcohol toxicity itself is actually just from our blood sugar taking a dive. Then we have the toxicity itself. Now the alcohol breaks down into a chemical called acetaldehyde. It's a chemical cousin of formaldehyde. So when you're drinking, and especially when you're drinking and going to sleep at night, it's a little like pickling your cells in formaldehyde. Acetaldehyde is responsible for the symptoms we know of um, in a hangover, the nausea, the headaches, the dizziness, um, poor impaired memory, even blackouts. And that's why the body works so hard to get rid of alcohol. It's very dangerous for the brain. And acetaldehyde is a known carcinogen. And I'm sure it's the reason that many of my cancer patients have a history of drinking alcohol regularly. I found it really interesting a few years ago, the New York Times published an article about acetaldehyde and cancer, and I shared it with a few people. And I heard a few days later that the, the article had been completely removed. Now, I always wondered, was that some alcohol uh, advertiser that intervened. Anyway, there was another article in the New York Times just this week about it. And I'm really curious to see today is day five, I'm wondering if that article is going to get taken down too. So breaking down acetaldehyde, um, also not only blocks our nutrition, but it uses up a lot of essential nutrients at the same time. Um, we use up a lot of vitamin C, which is important for immunity. We use up zinc, which is so important for how we make proteins and so also very important for um, our immune systems. Um, chronic depletion of zinc could possibly be part of the cancer link. And then we're also depleted in vitamin B1, which is so important for our nervous system and for heart function. Now, alcohol takes a lot of energy to metabolize. In theory, we get that energy back at the end of the chemical reaction. But how efficiently we do this in practice depends on a lot of factors. And some people do it better than others. So that can also be part of the problem um, as to why people feel so depleted the next day. Um, alcohol can also add to the effect on fatty liver. It produces a chemical called FAEE, which can cause fatty liver and liver damage. It damages the pancreas, which can also be a double whammy if we're having sweet cocktails um, or dessert with dinner and wine and all of that, um, as we're getting both the carbs and the alcohol at the same time. Um, it inflames and even destroys the cells of the pancreas and can even lead to pancreatic cancer. Um, it can inflame the GI tract and make digestive problems even worse. Now, that may sound like a little, lot of bad news, but remember, um, these are people who are drinking alcohol chronically. The body does have ways of breaking down alcohol. And um, um, I'm, never, I'm not by any means saying never have a drink. It's enjoyable, and I'm not a purist by any means. I drink alcohol myself for social events, um, but it is a choice that we make um, from time to time uh, to do things that are pleasurable, even if they're not the best for us. 
Um, but anyone who drinks daily or anyone who drinks even multiple times a week, there, there are big risks here. And if you have any of these symptoms, or if you have reasons to be concerned because of family or personal history, now you have a little bit more information um, when you're making that choice. So um, let's take another break. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Camille. Hi there. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You, and it's Dr. Camille. And, you know, during the break, I was thinking about Eric's question earlier about water, and I had some other thoughts about it. And one is that I gave you the amount um, uh, in pounds and ounces, and I know we have a lot of European listeners, so I wanted to also break it down uh, for you in metric and show the... um, Um, The ratio there is take your weight in kilos and divide by 30, and that will give you roughly the number of liters that you want to drink in a day. So for example, someone who weighs 68 kilos, you want to have about two and a quarter liters of water. And the other thing that I wanted to say is that, yes, other things do qualify besides water itself. So fruits and vegetables have a lot of water in them. Um, and so if you're, you're having a lot of that, um, that counts towards your hydration. So do um, other beverages um, like milk and soups count too. Now, herb teas are a little bit tricky uh, because some herbs uh, like ginger are diuretic. So, you know, ginger could be taking out some fluid too, as well as putting it in. Um, um, now, um, the one thing that you have to be aware of though is that um, when it comes to sugary drinks and caffeinated drinks, your body doesn't do as efficient a job of um, processing those because it's got to process the sugar and the caffeine. So um, you might not be absorbing as much as you think. So if you feel as though water is going right through you, maybe have fewer caffeinated drinks, have fewer sugary drinks, Um, Because it's really not just what you drink, it's what you absorb. 
Um, now, if if you do feel that you're running to the bathroom all the time and it's just too inconvenient, um, there are a couple of strategies. One is trying to drink warm drinks because the warmth actually pushes, the heat will push the fluid into the cells. And so you will absor- hopefully absorb a little bit more. And the other strategy would be trying to sip your fluids instead of glug, glug, glug um, a lot at one time. Um, so hopefully that will help. So um, getting back to today's topic, we've talked about protein and carbohydrates, and next I want to talk about fats. And actually, fats are the biggest myth of all. Um, They're so misunderstood. And again, that's thanks to the sugar industry lobbyists who needed fats to take the fall. Now, um, you might remember from last week what is possibly my favorite statistic about the body. Our brains are... Uh, 80% water, they are 12% fat, and they are um, 8% everything else that makes us who we are as human beings. And I just find that astounding. Now, that 12% fat that comprises our brain, it absolutely cannot be denied. So um, it's super important to make sure that you have fats. Your brain will constantly crave fats until it gets it. Um, And the thing about it is that we don't always know how to respond to that request. The body says fat, 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 and we may crave a cheesy pizza when what we really need is some olive oil or some nuts. So that the the fats that we choose is really a, a question of habit. Um, And some of those habits, we have to start listening to those messages um, in different ways. Um, um, So the kinds of fats that you want to choose, think about about how that fat is going to react at body temperature. Think about a day that's 99 degrees out or 37 degrees Celsius, and that fat is sitting on your counter. Now, is is it a hard piece of cheese? or um, you know, a fatty meat, or is it a nice liquidy olive oil? So we, we, we can use the liquidy ones a lot better than the solid ones, which tend to just create a lot of arteriosclerotic plaque um, and gum up our brains. Um, so so the, the fats that we use are, that we choose are really important. Um, now, as a rule, meat fats should be limited. Choose leaner cuts. You want plant fats. You want seeds like flax or chia or pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds or sesame. Um, nuts in moderation, including coconut, um, avocados, and as I said, olive oil is really fabulous. And fish is one of the best sources because it's very anti-inflammatory. A lot of the hard solid fats create inflammation. Now, eggs get a bad rap for being high in cholesterol, but they also contain lecithin, which mimics the function of the gallbladder in breaking down fats so that we can digest them. Nature kind of gives us what we need to be able to use what we have. If you've had your gallbladder removed, I I recommend taking one lecithin capsule with meals in which you've consumed fats so your body can still digest them properly. It's a really, it's a, it's a great boon for people with no gallbladder. Now, eggs are great nutrition. They contain a lot of choline, which is a precursor to acetylcholine. And that's the neurotransmitter that helps quick thinking and our ability to recall fat, uh, facts. Um, now, there's some controversy about whether free-range eggs have less cholesterol than factory farm eggs, and there are several studies out there on this. But these studies seem to be mostly sponsored by the egg industry, so I'm not sure how valid they are. Unfortunately, these days, you have to look at who paid for a study because statistics aren't always what they seem. If you look at a real egg from your neighbor's chickens next to a commercially farmed egg, you can see an enormous difference in size and color of the yolk. The real egg has a yolk with a rich yellow-orange color instead of pale yellow. It's not really a big stretch to think that there might be differences in the nutritional value. 
but you can decide for yourself how it tastes and how you feel. Now, when I treat patients with high cholesterol, I look closely at their diet, of course. Now, in practice, honestly, eggs don't seem to be a big issue. When I see cholesterol in the high 200s or more, the culprit is usually cheese. We think of hard cheese as being protein. We routinely have pizza and grilled cheese sandwiches or cheese and crackers as a snack. And we pack shrink cheese in our kids' lunchboxes. It's everywhere in our diet. Just look at any potluck table. You'll see almost everything has cheese in it. Um, But depending on the type, hard cheese is about 70% fat. So the portion size really is just a little more than butter. So imagine slathering that much butter on your crackers and you might see why your cholesterol is high. Now, soft cheeses like cottage cheese and most ricotta cheeses do have more protein and some are very low in fat. Um, You just need to read the labels of your favorites to know what you're getting. There's a great book by um, a man named Udo Erasmus and it's called Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill. And I think the title says it all. He goes into a lot of detail about what which fats cause inflammation and which fats reduce inflammation. He's got a great website and extensive YouTube videos. Um, I really recommend it if you're interested in learning more. Now, why are fats so essential to life? First, as I said, the brain and nervous system need fat. There is a coating on our nerves called myelin, and its composition is between 70 and 80% fat. This coating is like the insulation on wiring. Protein is the electricity going through, and the myelin protects the nerve from the electricity. We want a nice, thick myelin. It's where we also want to think about what kind of fat we eat. Do we want nice, clear, liquidy fats that the body can easily use? Or do we want hard fats that are solid at body temperature and might just be clogging up the system and keeping us from thinking clearly? Next, cholesterol is the precursor to all of our hormones. So if you're having hormone issues, consider whether you're getting enough fats or whether you're getting the right kind of fats, the good fats, to allow your body to produce hormones properly. We also mentioned earlier the issue of cell wall integrity. Every cell of our bodies are made of fats and proteins. That's why our survival depends on it, and our bodies break down when we don't have enough. Fats also help absorb our fat-soluble vitamins, without which we cannot live. Vitamin A is so important for our skin, our eyes, immunity, fertility, and cell production. Vitamin D is an essential nutrient for our RNA, which is so crucial to cell production and longevity, bone health, calcium regulation, and so much more. We're going to devote a lot of time to talking about vitamin D in a future show. It's that important. And vitamin E helps fertility, vision, and the health of the blood and brain. And without fats, we can't get these essential nutrients. Do be careful with supplementing with these vitamins, though, because they're because of the fact that they're fat-soluble, the body stores them. And it's not like water-soluble vitamins that flush out if, if we take too much. You can build up too much, and that has problems, too. So if you're supplementing with them, be familiar with the symptoms of having too much. Um, now, fats also provide protection for our skin. So along with water, it helps protect us from the sun and helps us absorb that all-important vitamin D from the sun. Now, with all of these important benefits, I want to address a really important issue, and that is the prevalence of statins. Lipitor became the most commonly prescribed drug in the U.S., 24 0.5 billion dollars worth of statin drugs are sold every year that was a huge anti-fat lobbying campaign that created those kind of numbers first they lobbied the american medical association to revise what's called normal it used to be 220 for years and now they brought it down to 200 for no other reason than to sell more medication 
to bump more people out of the normal range. Then it became part of the new trend of statistical medicine in which we're now being prescribed drugs, not because of our actual health, but because of what statistics have shown. So people were being advised to take statins even if their cholesterol was below 200. And if they, if simply they were of a certain age or if they had heart disease, okay? But we aren't statistics and there are real downsides to taking statins of which you should be aware. They interfere with all of the functions that I've described here. They interfere with our brain and our nervous system function. Um, they interfere with our hormones and the absorption of our fat-soluble vitamins. And even more, they deplete CoQ10, which is an essential enzyme for the heart. So they can actually increase our heart risk. But unfortunately, because of that $24 billion a year, the lobbyists have made sure that statins are part of the standard of care. And your doctor has to stand by them or there are legal ramifications. The standard of care is kind of a scary thing in medicine right now. Um, it's all tangled up in lawyers and malpractice. Um, and any doctor who works for a big organization has to stick to a set of rules called standard of care. So just make sure that when you're being recommended something, that it's something that you genuinely need, that the numbers really match, um, your, you know, your lab test numbers really match the recommendation. So those are the myths, and we've got to stop believing in them. We've got to look at the science. And so I hope this is giving you something to reflect on, and uh, I hope that you'll call in and, and talk to me about it more next week. Now, it's almost time for us to wrap up. And I want to finish with another inspirational moment. Um, I was really happy with the response that we got from last week's thoughts about the words I am. So here's another piece of idea of that idea. One reason that it's so important to define our identity is that we cannot become what we haven't defined. We don't know which road to take until we're crystal clear on where we're going. Even more importantly, it's really hard to change habits until we change our identity. It's like when you're riding a bike. You have to focus on where you're going or you lose your balance. So unless we change our identity, we're just relying on willpower. And that only lasts so long for a lot of people. When we change our identity, we truly begin to change the structures of our lives if you want to exercise more, you have to think like an athlete. You have to become an athlete, even if you're only 90 years old, and that means just walking around the block, and that's what it means for you. So think about how you can shift your identity, how you can change who you are and really believe that these changes are possible for you. Thanks so much. This is Dr. Camille and it's healthy, wealthy you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy, Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration. Inspiration.